We're turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew 11, we're continuing, of course, our study of the gospel of Matthew. Matthew presents Jesus as the king of the Jews. Remember, Mark presents him as, the, as a servant, and Luke presents him as the son, basically as a, as a man, and then John presents him as, as God, the son of God. But Matthew presents him as the king, and it's really powerful. We've been seeing some things. Let me remind you. I hope you have the little card that we've got it out front. If you don't have one, we have a little card on one side. It has outline of the, of the gospel of Matthew. The other side has some information on it. But if you remember <clears throat> that we started with the background, we talked about the birth of, Christ, of Jesus, how he goes back to Abraham and to King David, and then we talked about the beginning of his ministry and, and his teaching and, and preaching in, in the northern part of Israel, and then his platform, which was the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew, in which he taught a lot of things. And then we saw the power of the king, where he did the healings and the miracles. That's chapters 8 through 10. Now we've moved to what we call the program of the king, and sometimes he uses parables. We're going to see that in the next few chapters. But also, something else begins to happen here we begin to see the rejection. This is the beginning of the rejection by the nation. Jesus has come to the, to the nation of Israel. He has sent, and when he sends his men out, he sends them to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He is not going to anyone else at this time. He has offered himself as the king of the Jews. And when he goes out, there, there are people, people who follow him, people who want to be fed. They've seen his miracles. They've seen those kind of things. Religious leaders have been opposed to him from the very beginning. Uh, they don't want him to be the Messiah. Even if the, he looks like he's the Messiah, they don't want him to be because they have positions they do not want to lose. And we've already seen that whenever he does a miracle, they just say it, it's Satan doing it through him. They said that his power is from Satan. And so we're beginning to see the rejection. And where Jesus is, he's in the northern part of Israel. You may not realize this, but Jesus rarely he rarely went to the southern part of Israel. He rarely went to Jerusalem. He had to go by law, since Jesus kept the Mosaic law perfectly, by law three times a year he had to go to Jerusalem for Passover and for uh, Pentecost and then, then for Tabernacles. He had to go those three times for sure. He went there other times as well. But most of his ministry was in the northern part of Israel. And so he's taking the message into these cities around the Sea of Galilee. And what happens is, as a whole, they reject him. And, and, and we're seeing this, and so as we look at this passage, for the first time, Jesus begins to pronounce judgment on those who are rejecting him, and it's primarily the cities where he has been doing his ministry. Now, we all know this, that when we talk about judgment coming, and we're going to talk about a judgment because there's judgment both by believers and unbelievers, and the word judgment is not necessarily bad, but we know this, that the, the whole way to solve any of this is that people would put their faith in Christ, and my hope, my prayer is that every one of you in this room, I know almost all of you, but I pray that every one of you in this room, that you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you understood he died and rose again for you, and you've trusted in him to give you eternal life, and so we know that's the key. Now, what's happened is he's proclaiming the message and a lot of people aren't believing, especially in these cities, and we see what he does this morning. Well, most of you know my background before I trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior. I, I was 19 years old. I went to church once when I was 6, once when I was 12. And if you'd have said to me, how do you, how do you think you're going to go to heaven? Because that's what people would say. Do you think you're going to go to heaven? They wouldn't say, do you think you're going to have eternal life? They would say, think you're going to go to heaven when you die? And I said, well, I probably am because I felt like there'd be this big judgment There'd be a big throne, and, and God is sitting on the throne. Now, if you said Jesus and God, I'd go, I don't know. They're all the same. I, I didn't know anything. And so I would say, you're going to stand before God, and he's going to have a scale. And if you did good, 
and more good than bad, you'd get to go to heaven. If you did more bad than good, you wouldn't get to go to heaven. And so that's what I thought. Now, I was wrong, of course, because there's not that scale. All the sins are paid for, and the bottom line is, have you trusted in Jesus Christ? If you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have eternal life, and you'll be with him forever. If you reject Jesus Christ as Savior, if you do not believe in him for eternal life, you'll be separated forever. Now, I was right about one thing. There's judgment. And there's a judgment, there's two different judgments. Judgment for believers and a judgment for unbelievers. The judgment for believers is called the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment for unbelievers is called the great white throne judgment. And we're going to look at that because there's going to be a time in which both believers and unbelievers will be judged. And so this morning, Jesus is talking about judgment. And he says something that's really hard to grasp. He says, listen to this, he says, uh, it would be more tolerable for Tyre and Sodom, Sodom, Sodom than, than that on the day of judgment. And mother, he says that some people are going to have it worse than others. Now, we already know that some people are going to have it better than others. All of us who know Christ as Savior, we stand before him, they'll be for rewards. Well, what about unbelievers when they stand before him? Well, we'll see it as we go through our passages. Well, there's some, some hard things there, but there's the warning to those cities who reject him as he does his ministry. Let me give you the outline of the study. First of all, we're going to see verses 16 through 19 where he talks about how they've rejected him. And he talks about they rejected John the Baptist and they rejected him. And then we're going to see where he announces judgment. Judgment is announced on the cities, 20 through 24. And then at the end, he says, how do you escape the judgment? How can, you, how can we find rest? And it's in Jesus Christ, and we'll see that as we go through it. Well, let's start with uh, the rejection. The nation is rejecting, and we'll see what happens. Look at verse 16. And remember, he's already been talking about John the Baptist, and he says that they've already rejected John the Baptist, and they're rejecting him. And so he now talks about these people. Look what he says in verse 16. But to what shall I compare this generation? Well, it's like children sitting in the marketplace who call out to other children and say, we played the flute for you, and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge, and you didn't mourn. He says, what shall I say about this generation? Do you understand that exactly at the right time, Jesus Christ became a human being? He's Jewish. He lived, he grew up as a Jewish boy. He is a Jewish man. He's kept the Jewish law. He has offered himself as the Messiah. He is the promised one that goes all the way back. We talked about this in our grow group this morning. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 17, there's a promise to King David. He will have a son that will sit on the throne of Israel forever. That son is the Messiah. He's called the son of David. He's called the Messiah. He's called the king of the Jews. Jesus is offering himself as the king of the Jews. And he says, as he goes to the nation, they're rejecting him. So look what he says. He says, what shall I compare this generation, these, these Jewish people, what shall I compare them to? Because we know in John chapter 1, verse 11, it says he came into his own, his own people, and his own rejected him. That's an amazing thing. I, I want you to just think about it for a second. Out of all the human beings in the world, who should have recognized Jesus as the Messiah? It should have been the Jewish people. I mean, they're the ones that have the Bible. They're the ones that God prayed the promises, not only from Adam and Eve, but then it came to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to Judah, all the way down through David. I mean, they should have been knowing that when he comes, they'd go, that's him. That's him. He's done all the miracles. That's who he is. He's the son of David. He was born in Bethlehem. He's born of the virgin. He's the one. They should have got him, but they missed him. And so Jesus says, what, what do I compare this generation to? And then he says, it's like children. He says, that you, on one, because you can't, you can't ever please them. He says, we played the flute and you didn't dance. 
we sang a dirge and you didn't mourn. He says, no matter what we tried to do, you didn't like it. He says, it's like little kids saying, well, I'm going to play this flute. You should dance. Well, you won't. You don't dance. Okay. Okay. I'm going to play this sad song and you should cry. You're not going to cry. He's basically saying no matter what John did or what Jesus did, it didn't satisfy the people. They rejected no matter what. Look at verse 18. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they said he has a demon. And the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they said he's a gluttonous man and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And so what you see is this, that they rejected John because they said he's too legalistic, and they rejected Jesus because he was too much with sinners. So it didn't matter which way you went. You know, when John came, John the Baptist, he had these wild clothes and ate locusts and honey and stayed out in the wilderness. His hair never cut his hair. He, no telling what he looked like. In fact, most some people thought he was Elijah because Elijah looked that same way. And when they came out to him, he had certain food that he ate. He didn't suit certain things. He didn't, drink, he didn't do anything. And so people said, you're too legalistic. And then Jesus comes, and Jesus loves everybody, and he goes to eat with people and, and, and be with them, and sinners come, and they, they touch him, and he doesn't care, and then they said, oh, he's, he's ridiculous. He, he spends too much time with sinners. And so no matter what they did, whether it was John or Jesus, the people are rejecting. And see, that's what we see. And notice how the verse ends, verse 19, where it says, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. He came doing it, the normal things, and they said, he's gluttonous, and he's a drunkard. Jesus wasn't a drunkard. Is it a sin to get drunk? It is. Did Jesus ever sin? No. Okay. And so he's a friend. As they said, he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yeah, he is. I'm glad he's a friend of sinners. Anybody in this room a sinner? I'm glad he's a friend. Yet wisdom, he goes on to say, yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. What he's really saying there is that one day the truth about John and Jesus will be known. It will come out. This generation is rejecting him. This generation of Jewish people are rejecting him. Now, we've said all along, that when Jesus came to the Jewish people, he offered himself as the king, and as a whole, the nation rejected him. Now, individual Jews did. They were like Paul and Peter and James and John. They all believed in him. But as a whole, the nation rejected him. And so Jesus is going to talk about it. He says, yet wisdom is vindicated. He's done everything. He's been telling them the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, I want you to understand this. We saw it at the very beginning. John the Baptist proclaimed the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is when the king is ruling on the earth. Jesus is offering to the nation of Israel the fact that he is the Messiah and the king. And he's saying, I'm the king. When you believe in me, here, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We can have a kingdom. And they reject him. And so they've been doing it. And by the way, he's been doing all the miracles. He's done the signs of the Messiah, which is the miracles and the healings. He's, done, he's presented the gospel. If you listen back, this is in Matthew 11, verses 4 and 5. Jesus said, go tell John what you see and hear. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. He's done everything that the Messiah is to do. We're going to see later on in the book. He has done all these miracles. He's walked on the water. He's turned the water to wine. He's healed people. He's healed leprosy. He's raised people from the dead. He's done all of this. And they come to him in the Gospel of Matthew. We'll see it later on in chapter 12. And they say, we want a sign from you. He said, I've already given you every sign. He said, but I'll give you one more. As Jonah was in the belly of the great fish three days and three nights, so must the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. And what his sign was, he's going to die rise again. That's his final sign. And so they're rejecting him. And so what does he do? He's going to announce judgment 
on the city. So beginning at verse 20, it says, Then he began to announce, to announce the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. We're going to talk about repent in just a second. But he began to denounce. It means to reproach. It means to talk down. He's going to say, Listen, you cities. Look what you've done. Now, of course, when he says the cities, he's talking about the people in the cities, of course. And he's going to show them. And he says he's going to denounce them because this is where most of the miracles were done. Now, you realize that in, in the northern part of Israel is where he did almost all of his ministry? You know what he did when he went to Jerusalem? He cleansed the temple. He threw people out. He, he came down the, the side of the mountain on a donkey and all that. That's the kind of things he did in Jerusalem. In the northern part of Israel, he touched people and he made, he made the blind to see and he turned the water to wine. He did all these miracles. And he says he began to reproach them because most of the miracles were done because they did not Repent. Now, he's going to talk about the cities. These are the places where the miracles were done. Now, let me, let's talk about the word repent for a minute because sometimes it's a confusing word. Uh, metaneo is the, is the Greek word. Meta means after. Neo means thought. It means an afterthought. It actually means a change of mind. So if somebody says you need to repent, it means I need to change my mind. I need to change my thinking. Sometimes it's implied that to repent means to not only change your mind, but to stop doing something. Like, change your mind about that. Don't do that anymore. When he says repent for the kingdom of heaven is hand, he's telling them to change your mind about what you've been believing. You need to believe in the Messiah. He says here that he gets on to them because he did these miracles and they did not repent. That means they didn't change their mind. They looked at him and instead of saying, wow, he is the Messiah, they said, I don't believe that. They didn't change their minds, and that's what he's talking about. And so they saw him as maybe a rabbi. They saw him as somebody who might heal. They saw him as somebody who might could feed them, but they didn't see him as the Messiah. And so look what he says. He began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not change their mind. They did not repent. Now let me show you something. This is a map we've been using. If you notice that Jesus' headquarters was in Capernaum. It's not on this map, but he grew up in Nazareth, which is about over there. He came to all these cities, Chorazan, Bethsaida. If, and most of the time, it, you, we don't always think about that, but most of the time, almost all of his ministry was in the northern part of Israel. He would leave Capernaum. He went all the way down here one time to Gadara. That's where he, the, the, all of those, those pigs ran into the water. That was down there. He goes to Bethsaida. He goes to Chorazan. Uh, Magdala, that's where Mary Magdala was from. Sometimes he goes to Tiberias, but most of the time he goes like this. He goes across the Sea of Galilee. We think that the Sermon on the Mount was right there, so he probably got in the boat, went across the northern part, and went there. See these three cities? He's going to mention these cities. Capernaum, Chorazin, Bethsaida. He did a lot of miracles in those cities. And look what he says to them. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had been done in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Now, by the way, Tyre and Sidon are two Gentile cities, and they're way over here, so you can't see them. He says Caper Capernaum, or he says Chorazan and Bethsaida, that's where he starts. He says, if the miracles were done in Tyre and Sidon that were done in you, they would have already changed their minds. They would have become believers. That's what he says. Now, let me just give this to you. There's two different spellings on Chorazan, so I'll put them both there. Chorazan and Bethsaida. Those two cities, he did a number of miracles. Now, I want to read something to you. Look at verse 21 again. 
Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles, and by the way, you always hear me talk about the ifs in Greek and how they're different. This is called a second class if, and it means if and it's not true. So if and it's not true, the miracles had occurred in Tyre. They didn't. He didn't do the miracles in Tyre and Sidon like he did in Chorazin and Bethsaida. He says, if they'd have been done there, they would have changed their minds in sackcloth and ashes. He says, if those things would have been done in those two cities, those Gentile cities, they would have Believed. Jesus is actually saying this. The Gentiles were more open to the truth than these Jews. And later on it happens. Later on the Gentiles are much more open than the Jews. And so he says, now look at verse 22. This is a hard one. Nevertheless, I say to you, it'll be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. What in the world does that mean? We know that unbelievers are going to stand before Jesus Christ. We're going to talk more about it in just a minute. And because their names are not found written in the book of life, they're cast where? Where are they cast? Unbelievers where? Lake of fire. Okay, so it's going to be more tolerable. Let's put it this way. It's going to be better for Tyre and Sidon than Chorazin and Bethsaida. How is it better if you're both cast into the lake of fire? I don't know it seems to be as there are degrees of rewards, there could be degrees of punishment. That's all, I'm just, this is what it says. I, we, don't, we don't have much information. He just says that. And, and so it seems to be this, that those who have more light are more responsible. See, the Jews should have known. Jews should have immediately said, that's the Messiah. He's the son of David. That's the one that matches. Think about our country. Think about the people in the country who reject Jesus Christ when there's a church on every corner. It's all over the radio. It's all over the television. You can hear anything about Jesus Christ, the Bible, anytime you want to, and yet they continually reject. There's other parts of the world where you can't. Is it going to be more tolerable for some places than for some in the United States? I don't know. I just know Jesus says it's going to be better for Tyre and Sidon than it is for Chorazin and Bethsaida. And then he goes on and he talks about Capernaum. Now, Capernaum was his headquarters. This is where he lived. This is where he did most of his miracles. Look what he says. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? No, you won't. You will descend to Hades. That's the heart of the earth. For if, and it's not true, the miracles that occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Now, we know what Sodom is. We know what Sodom and Gomorrah is. Sodom and Gomorrah are those two cities that were so bad that God rained down fire and destroyed every one of them. He says that if Sodom and Gomorrah had the same message as Capernaum, then he wouldn't have destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because they would have believed. Now, that tells you how rejection and how rejecting they were. Look, it says Sodom would have remained to this day. And then he says uh, uh, something that's just hard to grasp. Nevertheless, I say to you, it'll be more tolerable for the lands of Sodom in the day of judgment than you. Wow. So there's some hard things that he says. He basically says this. This city and this city, judgment's coming. That's going to be worse for you than it was for Tyre and Sidon because if they'd have had the same message you had, they would have believed. And you, Capernaum, my headquarters, if, if Sodom, that wicked city would have seen what you see, they would still be here. So you've rejected it all. 
Listen, you know people, we know people in our lives that we try to share with them the message of Jesus Christ and they completely reject it. And they say, I don't even want to hear it, but I don't want to listen to it. Listen, what's going to happen when they stand before their Savior? What's going to happen? Well, notice what he says. Nevertheless, it would be more tolerable for the land of Sodom than in the day of judgment for you. So let's talk for a minute about judgment for a second. The word judgment always, it seems to be bad. I mean, when you hear the word judgment, he said, oh, don't judge me. Oh, it's going to be judgment. Well, judgment can be good. Judgment can be good or bad. Let me tell you one thing that's true. Every knee shall bow. Philippians 2 says, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that means both believers and unbelievers. There's going to come a time when every one of us in this room who know Christ, we will fall on our knees in front of our Savior and say, you are Messiah, Savior, King, you're everything. There's also going to come a day that every unbeliever, those who have rejected Jesus Christ, they will fall on their knees in front of him and confess. They will say, you are the Messiah. It's too late for them, but that's what they're going to do. Every knee shall bow and every tongue. Now listen, let's think about this. When a person trusts in Christ, trusts in Jesus Christ, one day they will stand before God at what's called the judgment seat of Christ. The word judgment there is bima, and it means reward stand. So one day, every one of us who know Christ as Savior will stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be rewarded when a person rejects Jesus Christ as Savior, they will stand before God at the judgment called the great white throne judgment. Let me show you this, okay? And here's what we see. One day, and we don't know where the judgment seat of Christ is because the best we can understand is when you die and you go to be in the presence with the Lord, you will then be standing before him at the call of the judgment seat of Christ, which is a reward stand. We don't know when it happens. We think it happens different for each individual. But for the unbelievers, they will stand before the great white throne judgment. That's right there. So there's going to come an exact time in history at the end of the millennial kingdom when unbelievers will stand before the great white throne judgment. Now, get this and understand it. As believers, 2 Corinthians 5.10, we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be judged for the things we've done in this body, whether good or worthless. We're not talking about sins. We're talking about works. We'll be judged for our works and we'll be rewarded. Romans 14.10 and 12, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall give praise to God. So each one of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Every one of us in this room who know Jesus Christ will stand before him, not for sin, not to decide whether you go to hell or heaven because that's decided by faith alone and Christ alone. It will be, you'll be rewarded for the things that you have done. Now look at this. Unbelievers, in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, they stand before what is called the great white throne judgment. Books are opened. Books of their good works or their works, and then the book of life. If their name is not found in the book of life, and it's not because they've not believed in Jesus, they are cast into the lake of fire. Now, there's some kind of something going on when he opens the books of their deeds, and they are judged there. It could be just like we see based on the light they received, based on the information they had, how they lived, what they did, how their, their goodness or their badness, whatever, and there will be consequences. And so if you take this passage, there are going to be different aspects of punishment or consequences 
when they stand before the great white throne judgment. I don't understand it exactly how it's going to work because he doesn't really tell us. And to, I've always thought to myself, if you're cast in the lake of fire, how much worse can it get? But obviously there's something going on there that we don't understand. Okay, I hope that makes sense to you. Anyway, here's the, the bottom line. By faith in Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection, we're at the judgment seat of Christ and rewards for works. Rejection of Jesus Christ, they're at the great white throne judgment and their works it has to do possibly with degrees of punishment. The more light you have, the more responsible you are. So here's the question. Will you stand before God at the judgment seat of Christ or will you stand before God at the great white throne judgment? If you have put your faith in Christ as your Savior, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ to give you eternal life, you will stand at the judgment seat of Christ to be rewarded. If you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've not trusted in him to give you eternal life, you will one day stand at the great white throne judgment. The books will be open. There'll be deeds there that your name will not be found in the book of life and you'll be cast into the lake of fire. I hope and pray, every one of you in this room, you have trusted in Christ, and you know that you will stand at the judgment seat of Christ to be rewarded. Now, he goes on and finishes this passage off with a solution, you might say. The rest is found in Christ. In other words, how do you escape this judgment, so to speak, this judgment that he's talking about with these cities? And we're going to see that that Jesus offers the solution, come to him, and he'll give you rest. Here's the famous passage. Let me read it. It says, come unto me, all ye who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But before we look at that, I want you to see what he says in verse 25, because this is powerful. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to the infants. Now, what is he talking about? The things that he's hidden from the wise and intelligent is the simple way of salvation. Listen, you all know people who are too smart for their own good, right? And they say, oh, you can't believe that. I mean, science is what's right and everything's right. And you, you can't believe that there really was, is a God and that there is a world created and there was an Adam and Eve and there was a flood and, and that, you know, that uh, one day you'll stand before God. You can't believe all that mess. And see, sometimes people are so, too smart. He says, thank you, Lord, that you've hidden this from all the wise and intelligent. He's talking about the religious leaders. At this day, he's talking about those who said they know everything. They know everything. What man's wisdom says, I'm good enough. Man's wisdom says, there's no judgment. Man's wisdom says, there's no way, there's no God. Other times man says, there's many ways to God. There's many gods. You can do anything you want to do. That's wrong. Matthew 18, verse 1 through 3, basically say this. Let me, you come as a child. I want to read it to you. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and they said, Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself and said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. How do you enter the kingdom of heaven? Like a child. Childlike faith. You say, Jesus is my Savior. Jesus died on the cross and paid for sin and rose again. And I'm trusting in him to give me eternal life. I believe that. You know, when you got little ones, I've got a couple of, three, three little uh, grandchildren, one of them is not old enough to jump or anything, but one can jump, and you say, here, jump, and they'll jump right to you, and they think you're going to catch them. Right? Because the childlike faith says, I know they'll catch me. Childlike faith is saying, I know Jesus Christ is my Savior. I'm trusting in Him. And He says here that I'm glad, Lord, that you revealed it to us 
who can understand it, who grasp it and believe in childlike faith. He says, yes, Father, this way was well-pleasing in your sight. And then he says something a little bit hard. He says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone the Son reveals. He's basically saying God revealed himself to us through Jesus Christ. See, it is God who so loved the world that he gave his Son. And when Jesus came, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. John says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ reveals reveals to us the Father. And the Father says, this is how they see me through Jesus. Jesus says, this is how they see the Father through me. And then we can get to see it. And that's what He's saying, that God reveals Himself through His Son. Now here's the offer. And we've seen this. Come unto me, all you are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest in your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We've seen this, and there's three parts to this. The invitation is to come, to take, and to learn. The first one is come unto me. And the idea here is to come and to trust me. He says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. You know what he's rest from? Rest from your works. See, before I trusted Christ, I thought, okay, I've got to be good. I've got I to live good. I've got to do the best I can. And I'm doing all this good stuff trying to get to God. And what he actually said to me is, will you stop it? Just take a rest. I'm the Savior. You're not the Savior. Come unto me and I will give you rest. And that's how we're saved. We trust in Jesus to give us eternal life. It's not what we do. Salvation is always by faith. It is God who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life. He's the Savior. Look, he's the door by which we enter. He is the shepherd. He is the good shepherd. We hear his voice. He is the great physician to heal us. He is the bread of life that we would eat. He is the light of the world so we could see. He is the fountain filled with blood so we'd be cleansed. So he says, come unto me. That's coming to him by faith, childlike faith, and we have eternal life. And then he says, and take. Take what? Take my yoke. Upon you, The idea of yoke means connection. It means couple together. It's the idea of relationship and fellowship with him. He says, come to me and then connect with me. Get yoked with me and we're going to go through life together. And that's what he's talking about. He's talking about the fellowship that we have. And he says, for, for you know, and take my yoke. And then he says something else because he ties it in. He says, and learn from me. That's the idea of growing the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And learn from me. Why? Because I'm gentle and humble and in heart. And you will find rest in your souls. He says, come unto me for salvation. And when you come unto me, connect with me and we'll go through this together and learn from me. You can know what's good and what's right and how to live and what to do. And he ends it by saying, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now normally when you said a yoke, that wasn't easy. You yoke the animals and put them under the yoke and then they're going like this and they're pulling a heavy load and everything else. Jesus said, I got the yoke. I'm on one side and you're on the other, but guess who's doing all the pulling? And guess who's doing all the work? Jesus is. He says, it's easy. It's light. When people say, oh, Christian life's so hard. It is because you're trying to do it yourself. Let him do it. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is work in you. God who is at work in you. He's working all things according to the counsel of his will. So what have we seen? 
Come, let's trust Christ. He gives us eternal life. Take his yoke, that's fellowship and relationship with him. Learn, which is grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. So as we look at our passage, the nation as a whole rejects him. And he told about these cities that he's done all the miracles. He said, it's going to be a judgment. It's going to be worse for you than it would be for Tyre and Sidon in those places. And then he says, listen, here's the bottom line. God revealed it. You come with childlike faith. You come to me who are burdened, and you take the yoke, and you walk with me, and you learn. So, trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. Listen, if, if you were to be out here today, and you know, there may be some people here that have never trusted in Christ. You can trust Christ right where you're sitting. You don't, you don't get up. You don't do anything. It's not your works. It's not your goodness. It's none of that. It's simply faith alone in Christ. So right where you're sitting, you can trust in Jesus Christ. He is the only way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So trust in him if you've never trusted him. Second, for all of it, let's understand that judgment comes to those who reject Christ. Now, this is called, we've got the, the, the judgment seat of Christ, which is rewarding, but this is the great white throne judgment in which they're not found in the book of life. Uh, I read this quote. I thought it was sort of funny. Listen to this. It says, in the choir of life, it's easy to fake the words, but someday each of us will have to sing a solo before God. And one of these days, whether it's at the judgment seat of Christ, which you're going to be rewarded, or whether it's the great white throne judgment, each human being will be before their Savior. That takes us to the last application. That is, let's serve our Lord, resting in His power. Listen, take, take the yoke. You know, first of all, we come to Him. Then we take the yoke, which is our fellowship, as we seek to live for Him. And then we learn and we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. One of the reasons we teach the Bible, one of the reasons that we go verse by verse, passage by passage, is because the only way that we can grow and learn and understand the Bible is by putting it together and teaching it. So not only do we want people to put their faith in Christ and have eternal life, he says, I want you to connect with me, fellowship with me, and learn and grow. May we do that.